bust. Put on Saiwara, sing it loud. And the Romeo Fox God, shall we dance? You are listening to the Citrep Podcast, your source for everything related to historical wargaming. Whether you are looking for the latest wargaming news, reviews, painting tutorials, or playthroughs, you will hear about it right here. So grab your favorite beverage or brush and let's hit it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next exciting show. This is show number four for season six. We've got a packed house today, and we've got a lot of stuff to get through, so we're going to get right into it. So before we start with our usual check-ins with the team, I just want to let everybody out there listening know we do have a special guest today. We do have Jay from Feral Games to talk about his latest Kickstarter for Ghost Ops, an RPG and set in the modern warfare world. So Jay, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Um, good to be it's again, second time, so it's uh, it's nice. Yeah, welcome back. All right, guys, so we're going to kick it right off with uh, a quick catch-up, and then uh, it's that time for, you know, that moment in the sun for our newsman. But let's start off with a catch-up from the team. Um, I'm going to have the busiest member start off first because I know he's got a lot to get through, and he might have to kick out early depending on how the show goes today. So, Sir Jim... What are you yep. up to now? Um, I'm up to a lot. Okay, <laughs> on to the next person. Um, <laughs> up to his eyes. <laughs> no, uh, guys, um, people who watch our channel already know kind of what we're up to. Um, this is literally Gulf War week uh, now until, you know, next Sunday is the, the 28th. Uh, we're at the 30th anniversaries now for all of the major Desert Storm ground battles. Uh, we've done some of the preliminary battles already. Um, Wadi El Batin, uh, El Kafchi, stuff like that. Uh, the scud hunting missions that took place before the actual ground invasion went in. Uh, now we're at the uh, the actual you know Desert Saber 30th anniversary for the ground war. Uh, you know, going in full you know full barrel. So yeah, this next week is going to be packed with um, a last big salvo of uh, Gulf War content. Uh, we've done a lot more battle group in 1991 uh, expansion. Uh, we've done some mm-hmm. more TCME Panzer Leader, um, which went up yesterday. And we've got another big battle for the Marines that are going in um, to Kuwait International Airport on the last day of the war. Uh, that miniature game has been started. First part's been filmed. Part one goes out on Wednesday. Part two, we think, will go out uh, next Sunday um, in place of our uh, weekend gaming. And uh, for today on Weekend Gaming, we're uh, trying out a brand new baby playtest of a whole new system, a tank skirmer system for the modern setting, um, Battle Carry Sabo. So uh, we're going to roll that out for 73 Easting, because I've realized as we've gone through all of our Gulf War content that we've done U.S. Air Force, we've done SAS, we've done Royal Irish SSRs, we've done the Marine Corps 17 different ways. We haven't done the U.S. Army, right? Seven Corps, which is like the biggest part of Gulf of, 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 of you know the Gulf War, biggest part of Desert Storm. So I was like, all right, we got to fix that. We got to. I mean, seventy-three <laughs> Easting is like the most the most famous battle of that war. We got to do it at least in one system. So we're gonna do that later today uh, in the community live stream. And uh, I mean, I haven't even play tested it myself solitaire. It's gonna be a maiden voyage, man. Awesome. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh, we hope it's awesome. But, Who you got uh, you know, playing first, with you today, Jim? 
uh, Rasmus is going to join us today, and uh, yeah, it's going to be baby's first day out. We're, we're going to see how it. Uh, we're gonna see how it goes. First dice, first time dice hitting the table on this one. Nice. So who knows? Very nice. Awesome. So uh, sounds like you're doing nothing but sitting around watching, uh, you know, TV and stuff. So. Well, I'm letting the rest of the team carry me for a while. <laughs> so. uh, all right. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to that game today. Um, you know, maybe if you need another player to help, I might be available. We can talk offline. I've. I've I've put the, the the soft offer out there. Yep. So all right. It's, uh, it's um Eagle Troop Second uh, Cavalry Second uh, Armored Cavalry Regiment. Nice McMasters. You know the the, the famous part. Yep. Part everybody's heard about. All right. So uh, Martin, I hear you've been up to a few things. Real, you know, going on. Yes, sir. Yeah. So uh, I think think i finished the board for our upcoming upcoming ultra combat modern game yep uh the 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 turf itself is all laid out we made it in two by two boards so that way uh it would be modular we could use it for uh smaller games like if we wanted to make up uh currently it's set up as a six by four uh there's a small ukrainian village that now exists and uh, a small forest, nice. As well as a bunch of roads. So uh, that is ready to go. I know we were chatting earlier. We, I haven't set it up in uh, the way the scenario is going to go. So you know, we may want to uh, throw some more scatter on there. So mm-hmm. We'll have to kind of see what that looks like once uh, everything's down on the table itself. But everything that is required for the mission is done. Nice. What was that, Chris? What's that, Chris? Roads would help. Yeah, I left the roads at my house. I forgot to bring them over last night. It's fine. Not a big deal. They're done. Not a big deal. So So we'll be ready to rock and roll on getting that video going. Um, Yeah, that'll come out after uh, Jim finishes up, uh, you know, terrorizing the poor Iraqi army in there in Desert Storm. Um, I feel very sad for those guys. Very, very sad. Yeah, and then uh, uh, in, in segue into <laughs> combining, you know, combining both of those as a uh-huh. as a palate cleanser from all this terrain that I've been building. Uh, I I found a 148 scale model of a of an A10, and I'm building that right now. <laughs> so, nice. So I'll have air support. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So, Mr. Wimmer, what's up? Nothing much. Uh, helping Marty, and that's it. Excellent. He's he's that quiet one behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So, so then we go over to... Yeah. Well, we've been... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, before we leave Chris, uh, we've been looking at uh, uh, some storage options uh, for the for the studio because well as you know there's a lot of stuff over there so uh, we may be uh, going out to get like a giant rolling cabinet today. Ooh, look at that! Yeah, yeah. Well, you know there's so much stuff. We found some that were really awesome. Nice. And we <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna need the sit rep credit card bill if you can. Go ahead and let us have that. Uh, as soon as I <laughs> shit it out, you can have it. All right. All right. 
Moving yeah, along. <laughs> moving along, merrily moving along. Let's shoot over across the pond to our resident historical painting, Bob Ross of the Sit Rep Podcast, Mr. Gaz. Sir? Uh, I, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recognize myself with the description. Um, I'm, one, I've not got that much hair for a start. I think there's more hair on my brushes than there is on my hair. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have managed to fit in a little bit of prep hobby this week nice. uh, in what time I've had available. So uh-huh. I've uh, grabbed another Blood Red Skies box set. Uh, I've grabbed the uh, Messerschmitt uh, BF109Es. So um, hopefully they'll be coming at some point in the next sort of two or three weeks. I'll try and get some paint down on these and get it filmed. Uh, to add to my uh, Fock Wolf on a, uh, 190s. And uh, my friend Mark and I are going to be doing some uh, Battle of Britain uh, when uh, things change back to a more normal world. Nice. So got the uh, got a nice play map based over France from Deep Cut Studios, so that looks really nice laid down. I've already had a look at that. Should have uh, He's got a mixture of Spitfires and Mosquitoes. So they'll be uh, we'll be tearing up the skies a little bit, hopefully in the near future. Excellent, nice. excellent. Sadly, the mic I ordered hasn't arrived because what I didn't notice was they were shut for holidays until like the 18th of February. So I've been sat here oh, for a week no. thinking, "Where's the mic?" Uh, <laughs> I a prompt to say, "Send me my mic, please now." <laughs> and instead, I got a banner at the top that says, "We're away from the 8th to the 18th of February." But literally the day after the 19th, they posted it. So fingers crossed, uh, it should be here for the next show. Excellent. Sounds good. All right. Well, like I said, we did have a special guest with us. Um, and, Jay, we want to include you in the hobby catch-up. What kind of hobbying you uh, have been doing recently outside of your Kickstarter? Um, well, I mean, I role play quite a lot, so I do that for a few days a week. But, I mean, I do <laughs> I do, uh, do some um, skirmish wargaming. Um, probably not quite on the level that a lot of your viewers, your listeners do. Um, I tend to, I, I tend to keep it simple and just stick with Games Workshop. So, uh, and that's probably sacrilegious, but <gasps> yeah. hey, everybody, somebody's <laughs> got to play it. Somebody's got to play it. Yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, it's easy for. I mean, I'm not a great painter, and it's easy for me to paint. And it's there's a lot. Of, I, I like kit bashing, so I do a lot of that. I do a lot of sort of building weird and wonderful monsters and aliens and so forth that stuff. So I kind of enjoy that aspect of it more than actually playing it. Yeah. No, uh, I got gotcha. It's a hobby more than anything else. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So I'm just going to throw mine out there real quick. So hobby wise, um, have you saw the painting tutorial or speed painting, if you will, for the U.S. troopers for Ultra Combat Modern went up? I'm going to be filming the Russian side because I was told I'm a communist hater. It's it's true. I admit it. But uh well, do, you know, yeah. What's, <laughs> what's the question there? All right, but you know, I was also informed that Russians in the modern world are not communists; they're Russians. So, to be equal opportunity, I will be point, painting a speed tutorial for the Russian troops that we'll be using in our Ultra Combat Modern table that Marty and Chris have been working so diligently on. On top of that, I'm going to be redoing my entire hobby room uh, to make it more beneficial for filming. Um, but what? I know, right? So, uh, all the stuff's going to get emptied out of this room 
Dawn doesn't know it yet, but that's what's going to happen. And then we're going to reorganize it so it's more um, efficient. And then lastly, um, I mentioned this on the painting tutorial video, but um, I'm going to make it an official throwout. So uh, sometime here, I'm going to be filming a uh, little design workshop. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to use Illustrator or something. I'm trying to find something that's a little bit more easier to use with my uh, drawing tablet online. Because we're going to do a one-day build of a table. It's going to be a four-by-four four winter northeastern uh, woods along the um, North American, um, United States, Canadian border to prep for um, Savage Frontier. Why would we want to do that table? What's that? <gasps> yes. I said, why would we want to do that table? Right? Snow, northern woods. Oh, yeah. So uh, we're going to take you through it, and we're going to show you how we now – I have discovered my own secret recipe for Sculpt-A-Mold. So we don't have to buy Sculpt-A-Mold anymore. We can just go to our local hardware store and buy the ingredients and make a ton of it, literally, and it's dirt cheap. So we'll, we'll share deal. that with you. So we'll have Sculpt-A-Mold up the yin-yang. All right. Diesel fuel and fertilizer? What's that? that's the info yeah so anyways guys so that'll be coming up uh shortly so let's change gears real quick uh because our guest is on he's ready to go and talk about his new kickstarter for his game and uh he's in the middle of uh joining us kindly between dinner and a game session so we're gonna take the show to him so jay from feral games why don't you tell us about your new kickstarter Okay, right, well, um, I'm doing a, uh, <clears throat> a Kickstarter for with Ghost Ops Second Strike, which is basically the second edition of Ghost Ops. Um, it's been three years since the last, since I actually published the first one. Uh-huh. And a lot of things have obviously changed since then because a lot of people have commented and played it and so forth. Um, so really, the second edition is kind of a refinement and the improvement of what I originally done. Um, we do a time when you went, when you first, especially as a, a small indie developer like myself, when you first do something, you never really know what the, what the outcome will be and how much people will like it and how much people will hate it and stuff. Um, but we've got a really active community on, on Facebook and on Discord and stuff. So that's been really great because I've been listening to feedback and listening to what people like, what they don't like, what they change, what they homebrew themselves. Um, and I mean, I've even released uh, some expanded stuff for regional ghost ops. Uh, based on some of the homebrews that people have done. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt it was about time I kind of did an update for it and refined it. Um, so this is what this is for, really. Basically, um, a Ghost Ops improvement. It is, I mean... So it's the essentially game second is, edition? Yeah, yeah, essentially second edition. I mean, the game is going to be different in a lot of ways, but it's going to be the same in other ways. So... Everything that, if you bought the Ghost Ops original and you've got all the source books and missions for that, then that will still work for the second edition. Okay. Um, so you can still use all that material. You don't have to buy it all again or we're not going to re-release it and stuff. It'll all be applicable. It'll be all still you know, relevant. Good. Um, what's the changes, though, is um, I noticed that a lot of people in the original game, we had a group called the ICO, which is what you were a member of, this kind of international covert operations kind of like a Rainbow Six type group. And um, a lot of people who play it, who are ex-military or current military, 
tended not to use that. They tended not to like it much. So uh, what I've done in the new version is you can now play as the ICO if you want to play the ICO, but you can also play now as standard special forces. Mm-hmm. You can play as mercenaries, uh, like, like well, PM, sort of like private military contract as PMCs. Um, you can play as SWAT now, uh, and you can also play as special agents as well. Um, and we've got a, a goal in there where you can actually play as the activity. Okay. Which uh, a few people are quite excited about because obviously the activity being a super secret special forces unit um, makes few people kind of thrilled to be able to sort of play a, a group like that, which is not seen in many role-playing games. Um, the other thing we're doing is um, I'm, I'm adding a tier aspect to the game. So you can now play in different eras. So the game will have settings for Second World War. Mm-hmm. So you can play as OSS, OS, uh, SAS, um, and also Resistance Fighters. Nice. Um, you can play in Vietnam and the Cold War as well. Um, there'll be rules for playing in the modern era. The actual game will come as a modern era um, setting of officially kind of thing it'll be that'll be the main setting and then other things will be added to it you'll be able to play in near future based upon uh, information from military um production and DARPA and places like that so based on the technology that's that is predicted be coming up in the near future and then you'll be able to also play in the far future kind of almost like um an expanse mixed with um modern warfare that one that they did that was set in the far future, and I can't remember what it was called. But anyway, that sort of that kind of mix between, like, you know, maybe sort of play as members of space force, but in a sort of hundred years time when there's colonies on Mars and so forth. So the game is expanding outwards in areas where you can play in. It's just not going to be modern anymore. It's going to be throughout sort of recent history, really. Okay. Uh, which is going to make. Because a lot of people asked for it. A lot of people wanted to play in the Second World War, you know, fighting against the Nazis, or they wanted to play in the Vietnam um, with Delta and, and, and other special forces groups that were active in the Vietnam War. And also during the Cold War, the 80s and 90s, when a lot of a lot of more so special forces groups started becoming more prominent. Uh, the SAS was one that would be Iraq, the Iran embassy. Um, siege was obviously the main thing for the 80s for the SAS. Um so, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. I'm expanding it outward. Um, the other thing a lot of people didn't like, well, a lot of people, people did like it. I think a lot of people came to, to like it. A lot of people who didn't know much about it sort of discovered a new kind of system. But we're, we're not just doing it for the fudge dice anymore. A lot of, a few people didn't like the fudge dice or preferred it would be different in a different system. So mm-hmm. uh, the main book will be fudge, uh, like the original. So the Feral Engine will be the main core, but there'll be a section at the back of the book which will allow you to play with a 2D6 or a D100. Oh, a D100. Um, yeah. So the whole thing will be expanded outward uh, and bigger, basically. You'll be able to play more areas, more special. There'll be over 200 different backgrounds, special forces backgrounds, uh-huh. police backgrounds, special agent backgrounds, uh, PM, you know, sort of PMC backgrounds, and also for three years. So there'll be Second World War backgrounds. Vietnam backgrounds and so forth. So there'll be a lot more backgrounds, a lot more character options in the game. Interesting. So, so, so yeah, so it should be, uh, should have everything that anybody wants in it. 
Awesome. So will um, the Kickstarter offer, like, um, I know in the last Kickstarter you did, you had a hardback version uh, offered in our, you know, what's the what's the incentive for somebody to back, obviously, other than to support the game? You know, it's a great game, and we want you okay. to support it. So uh, what would you say is the draw to get people in to support the, the new Kickstarter? Okay, so apart from all the expanded stuff and all the extra, all the extra things we're doing and, and refining of the rules and uh, so forth, uh-huh. uh, there will be the PDF available as usual, um, and there will be a hardback. But this, the hardback now is going to be properly printed. It's not going to be a print on demand like the original was. Um, sure. We can um, things have moved forward. I'm now working with a company called WordForge Games, who have done a few Kickstarters in the past with other, with other companies and so forth. And they're a lot more sort of um, sort of networked with printers and distribution and so forth, which makes it easier for me. Uh, whereas before, you know, I was you know three years ago, I was, I was still pretty much wet beyond the ears, really. And, I, and in some ways, I still am. But um, what this will allow me to do is actually get them properly printed. So they'll be properly printed with ribbons. Um, they'll be a lot better quality. Um, the whole the whole look of the book will be pretty pretty great. Um, there's going to be, we're looking at maybe doing a kind of a leather bound special edition of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, GM screens, dice, all of those things will be kind of coming up as uh, stretch goals or add-ons. So there's a lot more scope of books will be a lot nicer to look at. Very nice. Uh, and a lot bigger as well. So we're looking at at least 300 plus pages uh, for the core book. Uh, it'll be full size. So it'll be like the standard 8.5 by 11. Um, size rather than the six by nine, which the original was in. Um, so it'll be a, a lot bigger book and have a lot more content. Um, and as we unlock more content, there'll be a, there'll be more stuff going in it. So it could get bigger and bigger and bigger. Awesome. Um, also, so- the highest is we're 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 doing a we're doing a tier where you can actually uh, not only get the hardback and everything else, but you'll also uh, get access to a Discord server where you can actually be part of. Help building, build the game, adding you know content and stuff, and play testing. But you also have the ability to get a license to actually produce stuff for the game and sell it. Oh, that's really uh, cool. So is yeah, there so, like a scenario booklet's going to come out at some point? Is that in the works? You think? Well, there's going to be scenarios for every setting. There will be a scenario for it within the book. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So there'll be one for the modern setting, then one for the whatever settings get unlocked. So each setting will come with its own sort of missions. Uh-huh. Uh, there'll also be missions that will be stretch goals which will be released as PDFs and hopefully we'll be able to collect it into a physical book as well and release it um, so there's going to be a, a lot of content there's going to be um, list, a book of um, rogue nations a book of um, gangs, cartels uh, terrorist cells um, all of those things will come in so you'll have plenty of scope to uh, face whatever you want to face with the group uh, obviously, with new weapons and, and new abilities, uh, that all kind of becomes faster and um, more kind of realistic is how we try to get it. So the, the combat will be more kind of realistic than, than it was previously. Uh, even though the previous combat was pretty fast, um, we want to make it kind of feel more like you actually are in that sort of situation and it's a lot more. So morale will come into it. So some of the bad guys may just give up and offer information in return for their lives, or they may shoot back, or they may just run away. So there'll be a lot of that sort of stuff going on it. There won't be just, you know, 
standard shootouts, you get a lot of sort of role-playing games where people just keep on shooting they're dead. Sure. Um, there'll be opportunities for, for enemies to, to flee or make deals. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I see if, um, sorry, Jay, sorry. I see you've uh, split the book down as well now. You've got like a, an operator's book and a handler's book, I believe. Well, we were going to do that. <laughs> All right. On, on, on four, uh, four and I thought, the one thing I don't like about a lot of role-playing games is when they split the book into two parts, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I thought this might be easier to do um, a printing of it. But this was before I actually got a printer. Um, and I was going to do the whole thing with a pod. And I thought it would be easier to do two separate books, quite large ones. But I think with um, with a printing access, you know, we believe now we have to print in the book properly uh, with ribbons and stuff. We're actually combining both books into one. And okay. uh, making the book bigger. So um, this is why the book could reach three to three and a half, well, even 400 pages possibly. So uh, so that's not going to be an option anymore. That's going to be something that uh, when you buy the hardback, you get everything. No. So if you don't like the result, you can strike your opponent with it as well, which is kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> If you get that really good roll at that really bad moment, you can use it as a deadly weapon as well, which is quite nice. <laughs> I thought you were going to use that giant D100 to bludgeon them with. <laughs> yeah. Do we even but, have uh, opponents? Yeah. I mean, this is a role-playing game. You don't really, I mean, I guess the storyteller is your opponent, or the operator. Uh, I should say the handler is your opponent. The person rolling that dice. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I suppose in a way, I mean, the handler is meant to be kind of neutral um, and just basically go with whatever the uh, players do, but... Sometimes they can be, uh, they can be the, the opponent, depending on who you handle. Uh, what sort but, of stretch goals are you looking at with the Kickstarter? Jim? Well, at the moment, the, uh, the stretch goals are going to be the setting. So the first stretch goal you're going to come across is the World War II setting, which is going to be written by Brad and Clark, um, who's uh, one of our, he's actually one of our community members, actually. Um, I think this will be the first time he's written something for a role-playing game, so that's going to be interesting. But he's quite into his... Um, Second World War, and he's the one who kind of came to us to talk about it. And uh, I like the idea. It's going to be uh, it's called Shadow War, and it's going to be players are going to be able to play OSS and SAS and so forth. Um, so he's going to be doing. Assuming that there's also going to be some special operations executive and there's some SOE. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah, set Europe ablaze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's how it's good, yeah. So basically, uh, you'll be able to play special... I mean, there weren't great deal of special forces around in the Second World War, so it's going to be kind of interesting. But with resistance thrown in as well, and being able to play as resistance members, that should be quite intriguing. Um, well, and then I'm obviously... Just imagine a lower low in my mind right now, and I can play the <laughs> policeman and the, and the, <laughs> the cafe owner. <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind actually putting sort of some more kind of... We'll see how we go with it. We may expand it a bit further to go into places where you'll be able to have a have a group go into maybe reenacting Stalingrad and areas like that. Because I thought I find them that sort of area of history kind of interesting a lot because of because of how they how Stalingrad went and the Russians against the Germans. Um, so maybe specialist snipers and so forth. So you can sort of reenact the you know enemy at the gates and stuff. Um, and then obviously the next one after that will be Vietnam. Um, and then the Cold War. Uh, and so you'll be, you know, these will unlock, and between these will be a mission, um, PDF mission packs will be able to unlock as well, and GM screens um, and all of that stuff. So there's there's going to be quite a good 
selection of stretch goals available. And hopefully we'll lock all of them because that'd be nice. Because um, the more we get, the more we get into the book and stuff. Uh, one of the things I was actually thinking about, I think it's something I spoke to you guys about last year, actually, or the year before when we when I was on the last. Yeah, it's been a while. Was about the skirmish game. Yeah, yeah. was about having the skirmish game because there was a skirmish game in the back of the Ghost Ops rule book, and I don't know if many people used it to be perfectly honest. And I don't think it was particularly great. It was, you know, it was something that I kind of liked the idea of. Um, I really did not know much about it at the time in order to do that, mm-hmm. but it's something I would like to do with a skirmish game. Um, but I'm not too sure if, there's, if it's a little bit of a saturated market for a sort of warfare, sort of skirmish games. Um, I know there's things like um, Spectre and so forth, which are all kind of special ops. Um, so it'd be something I'd like to do as a stretch goal, or something I'd like to do as a separate thing, um, as a stretch, you know, as a, a skirmish game, or a, or, a, or I don't think skirmish will probably work best because obviously it's small units of troops. Uh, so. That's something I'm definitely looking into, and that's something that I, I'll still be interested in working with you, Lockport, if you're interested in still doing it. Um, but, yeah. yeah, that's something to do at some point in the future. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I think it'll be something that a lot of the players would like to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And there's an awful lot of out there and so forth. Um, and I think it'd be kind of cool to have a, a Ghost Ops-specific skirmish game. Uh, where you can play as SWAT team members or um, PMCs or, or or even ICO or standard special forces. Yeah. Um, another thing I was thinking of doing is this is this will be a separate together probably, but the alternative, an alternate universe sort of um, aspect to Ghost Ops, where the Second World War games are more kind of like um, whether Nazis won and. Tesla technology and all that sort of stuff, that kind of thing that kind of people kind of like what if um, type scenarios. So you'll be able to put the characters through those type of conflicts uh, as an alternate sort of world thing. It wouldn't be for everybody and it wouldn't be for the, for the hard-nosed sort of military types, but for those people who kind of want a little bit of science fiction or fantasy in their games, um, that's another option I'd like to sort of throw in there. Uh, We'll so like a weird World War II uh, type of deal? Yeah, kind of. More like a kind, yeah, sort of like a sort of, um, well, one of them would be the, the Nazis and maybe even moon Nazis. I mean, that sort of thing. All the, all the technology yeah. they were supposed to have and, um, you know, the, the, the Project Blue Book, no, Project, what was it called? Project uh, Blue Fire, where they had the UFOs and um, all of those yeah, sort with of all- yeah, all, all the Nazi, uh, you know, crazy technology searching and yeah. cult stuff and whatnot. Yeah, you could really yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. incorporate some cool stuff there. Yeah, exactly. And then do the same for things like um, all the other things. So you'd have like, you know, a, a more sort of maybe an apocalyptic Armageddon-type modern warfare one where you have it a bit more like, uh, you know, everything's gone down and you're basically stuck behind them. It's like a Twilight 2000, but with special forces. Um so yeah, a few things like that would be kind of cool, uh, but that that would be a long way off. I reckon it would be uh, it'll be a separate thing altogether. But that's definitely something I'm looking into doing. I think it'd be kind of cool. Very cool. Very nice. Yeah. Right. How long is the to... uh, Kickstarter going to be running for, Jerry? Uh, Twenty-one days. So it starts on Tuesday, and it will keep on going. I think until sixteenth of March. I think it goes for. Um, there is a there is a launcher we've we've I've released that let keeps you informed 
of when it launches. Um, there will be an early bird that will last 48 hours, um, which is quite a lot of stuff. Uh, and that will, and once that's once that 48 hours, 48 hours is up, it becomes a 75 pound pledge. So it, you, but for 50 quid, you get quite a lot of stuff like the hardback. You get all the physical stretch goals like the TM screen, um, dice trays, and that sort of stuff. Or PDF stretch goals. So you get an awful lot of stuff for 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 your, for your fifty pounds. Um, so uh, you know if you're going to do it, grab your early bird because that's the best deal, really. Um, yeah, um, it's got to be. It's, I think I'm, I'm quite excited about the new game. I've been working on it a lot, looking at listening to what people have to say and what they don't like, and I've really tried to make it a lot more uh, open and a lot more a lot more choices for people. So they don't have to play the ICO, they don't have to do this, and they have to use a fudge dice, they can just, and I want to kind of open up to a lot of people, because I mean, there's already gold on drive-thru, which is great, but I think if I'd opened it up with different dice systems and more options, it may have actually been a lot higher, because I think a lot of people may get turned off by um, dice that are a little bit odd, you know, they're not the standard dice. Um, so I don't want to have that limit anymore. I want to kind of open up to everybody, really. So, yeah. Very cool. All right, guys. There you go. That's Jay from Feral Games talking about his next Kickstarter, which kicks off Tuesday, 3 uh, p.m. Uh, GMT time. Yeah, yeah. So that would be roughly 9 a.m. Central Standard Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and... 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. I think I got it now. All right. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, Jay, as always, it's awesome to have you on the show. Uh, don't be a stranger. You know, let's not make it another two years or so. Um, definitely um, we'll be backing the Kickstarter, and I would love to run a game uh, with, you know, members of uh, our family here and on the podcast and see if we can get a campaign going. So we do appreciate it. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll be in touch. I mean, I'll, I'm happy to do updates. It's just that sometimes I'm just so busy, I don't get the chance yeah. to do anything. Right. But I'm happy to pop on and do updates so often, or, um, you know, if people have any questions, I'm always happy to answer them. And yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll, as soon as I get something together, I'll send you over a, uh, a playtest uh, beta. Oh, perfect. And you can uh, playtest it and let you know what you think, and uh, that'd be great, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. We're happy to do it for you. So uh, thanks yeah. very much. Enjoy your Sunday night. Go finish your supper and uh, your game, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, yeah, thanks a lot. All right, cheers. We'll Best talk to you. Best of luck on your Kickstarter, Jay. Uh, thanks, mate. Thanks. Good luck. Thank you. All right, guys, there you go. So make sure you look out for Tuesday uh, for the Kickstarter. It's for Feral Games, uh, Ghost Ops, Gaz, help me. What's the, the full name for the Kickstarter? First Stop, Second Strike. Thank you. First Stop, Second Strike. Thank you. I, I want to say second <laughs> edition. Give me mic. <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't remember. I know he, he called it something other than second edition, so second strike. So make sure you guys look out for that. So it's now time to change gears, and it's that time. Oh, dear. It's news time with Gaz. Give me the latest and greatest news. Oh boy, oh boy, it's news time with Gaz. 
Come on, give it to me. Give me the news. There you are, sir. So crazy. I'm currently rubbing my face, trying to disguise well, myself from my own Well, your face you're rubbing. <laughs> well, yeah. Hey, it doesn't say James. I'm not like Jim, who wants to hear the lovely British accent. Oh, I'm working on that one. Don't you worry. Where I'm, uh, where, where's my sense of British change? <laughs> Gaz doesn't even appreciate his, and I'm over here waiting for one, and I don't have it. It's What's coming. I, I got to make it just right. Sure, yeah. I'm, 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 I just want to know what the intro bot looked like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because it's sexy for you. That's your, you know, regular language. What language? Is good for you, French? No, I don't want any of that. Gone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy with just going with the news. Well, anyway, <laughs> nice southern girl for you. All right, that, that, bring, oh, on there the you news, go. bring it on. She's waiting for you. <laughs> so, uh, in the news this week, we're going to touch on a number of different points in history. We're going to kick off with the Vitrix line. Uh, obviously, been going for quite a long time now, and there's been some updates recently on their Facebook page. One particularly caught my eye, and that's a return to their 28 millimeter millimeter Napoleonic range with some cavalry options. And of all things, it's the British Dragoons. Um, these miniatures are absolutely lovely. I think horses are one of the most difficult models to get right in a lot of historical. And the job these guys have done in making the poses look active and vibrant is, is excellent. Uh, they've also got a head swap that allows you to do the Scots greys, um, which is a really nice way of expanding what is already their sort of core set into being able to use it for more than one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've also followed up saying we'll soon be seeing a trumpeter and an officer being added to the force before they move on to the household cavalry. So they're, they're really going in um, all guns blazing on this one, and uh, I can't wait to see more of what comes out of it. Wow. You know, it, it blows my mind that people will play Napoleonics at 28 mil. That's a lot of yeah. minutes. I mean, honestly, you can't play – my my personal opinion is you cannot play Napoleonics at a skirmish level game. It, it's, it wasn't a skirmish. It, they were big battles. You know, even the small battles were not small. So – um, to put a lot of 28 mil troops on the table, even to represent, you know, um, regiments, whatever, you know, the brigades, whatever they used, uh, organizational they used during that time. It's still a lot of minis. And to do it at 28 mil, that's a lot of painting. A lot of painting. Well, maybe, and and you need like a, uh, you know, a, a 16 by four table to, just to play it. Oh, you need, yeah, you're right. Um, I think of the battles, I would def- any of the battles, I would definitely agree with that. However, there is a lot of skirmish-type guerrilla warfare going on in the Napoleonic, Napoleonic Wars. Uh, the Peninsula Campaign is probably the best example. Okay. Um, so you can do it, but you kind of have to shop for it. Yeah. There is a there is a use case for it. It's just not – no, I'm not suggesting you do Leipzig at 28 millimeter, <laughs> you know, 400,000 people. <laughs> Um, it's like Waterloo times three. This is Waterloo <laughs> times three, which is Gettysburg times two, which is the entire American. Because you need a basketball time. court to play it on. Yeah, it's you, America. You need a basketball stadium. Yeah. I think it's better. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think uh, I think it's got a lot of opportunity for some of the smaller skirmish rule sets, like the sharps sharps yeah. rule set, yeah. like that. 
uh, where right. they come across French lancers and, you know, they, they've got to defend somebody. You always get those images in the films of a, a small packet moving that gets engaged by somebody else's outliers, skirmishers, scouts, etc. So I think there's, there's some opportunity to have it. But for me, honestly, dioramas, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the best best things to have a diorama of is a, even if it's just a, a French lancer or two or three French lancers charging some guys, dealing and firing at them. Um, you know, it's, it's some of that looks really good on the tabletop. Yeah, most definitely. As well yeah, as for sure. That... So, most definitely. So, All right, what yeah. else has you got there, Mr. Newsman? Uh, so next up on the tally, uh, we're moving across to War Games Atlantic. Uh, they're bringing a, well, an area of history that I didn't really know hardly anything about and still don't, but uh, the Boxer Rebellion in China. Um, so with this one, They've just started sort of tooling for their miniatures range. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, set a fair while ago, but the rebellion itself was sort of a Chinese uprising, so you're getting a lot of uh, basic sort of tools and uh, kit and equipment is mainly sort of clothing and the odd swords. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a really interesting one that I need to look more into now that I've found out about it. Uh, they're looking to do a 40 miniature uh, box set. Uh, to bring it on mm-hmm. and uh, looking forward to seeing where they run with it and to, to you know to delve a bit more into a part of history I'm not really aware of interesting uh, famously they have a guy in there that's called Tiger Man who basically dressed in the fur of a tiger during the rebellion and was a bit of a focal point you know he, he, he used it as a mechanism for for a PR campaign where he would you know raid with the guys and and get away with uh, sabotage and, and dealing with enemy forces and, and get away. So, uh, yeah, they're doing a miniature specifically for him, which is kind of cool. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, he sounds like a good character. Yeah. Do you want of either, uh, I can't remember if it's Dan Daly or Smedley Butler. Not Smedley Butler, Dan Daly or, God, I should know this. Um, one of two Marines uh, in the history of the Corps who won two medals of honor. He won one of them in the Boxer Rebellion. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Boxer Rebellion, uh, for people in the chat who, or people in our audience who may not be aware, um, was a, a Chinese uprising. It started off as a bunch of small groups, quickly coalesced into one big group, more or less, who were pretty much fed up with foreign intervention in China. China was a very, very weak and fragmented country at the time, uh, and pretty much it was a, it was a free you know, hand basket for anyone who wanted like foreign colonial um, exploitation. So you would have German, you, you, you would, you would, it's like 1899, 1898, yeah. 1900, something like that. Yeah. You're going to have German troops, Japanese troops, American troops, American Marines, the British were there. The French, I mean, every colonial or post-colonial power you can think of, um, they're all there. And uh, yeah, they're all fighting these, um, very numerous, very fanatical, but woefully underarmed like Chinese peasants. And you've got like Maxim machine guns and Gatlin guns and stuff like that against them. Um, along with, uh, you know, Imperial Chinese troops who are trying to keep these colonial powers happy because, you know, we're kind of, you know, the, the old story, you know, the, the foreign intervention, I'm going to, you know, crooked, not, not crooked, um, you know, powerful, like plutocratic uh, corporate, you know, um, kingpins or whatever they lean on their governments in parliament or the u.s congress or the german you know government or you know all these little governments they say okay i'll put a battalion of troops there now your company is safe to do whatever the hell you want to these people so yeah there's a lot going on it's uh 
it's it's almost like a dress rehearsal for a lot of what we would see later in the 20th century and even nowadays where you know companies lean on their governments and then those governments put a blueprint in somebody else's country so that the companies that are funding their election campaigns or whatever can go ahead and you know do whatever they want as far as corporate exploitation you see that in asia africa latin america all over the place um definitely a bloodbath box rebellion was no joke that's for damn sure well that's um one of those areas that i don't think gets enough attention it's one of those nice little things for um you know gaming that is, you know, if you were looking for something a little different, if you want to get away from WW2 and Napoleonics and all that stuff, you can have a little game of this. And there's a lot of terrain out there uh, that you can get, um, you know, for that era, uh, believe it or not. Um, so it's, you know, it can be as difficult or as easy as you want. So um, definitely check that out. All right, guys, what do we got going on next? Uh, next, uh, hey, uh, we, quick, uh, quick question, Gaz, on the yeah. on the Boxer Rebellion. Did did you mention what scale the the miniatures were going to be in? Uh, we twenty eight mil. Twenty eight mil. Okay, yeah. thank you. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, they're going to be multi part. Um, the tooling shows that they're already got separate heads, separate arms, main body sections. So they'll be, although you'll have forty miniatures, you'll essentially be able to chop and change around. So you could probably almost do the whole box, if not the whole box, without reposing. Uh, sorry, without doing the same pose twice. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Beheadings were very, very common in the box for billions, so you could even have some pose. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually not kidding. You could have some pose. Use the left overhead. Yeah. <laughs> so, always go to the dark side, don't you? Full, full that, that's what happens when you make me historic land you know, history, history, history is a dark subject. It's never um, a bright side. But if you want, but if you want a, uh, but if you want a funnier, a funner view or more fun view of this, the way I found out about the Box Rebellion like 30 years ago was one of those old uh, Shaw Brothers kung fu movies. Really? So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna vouch for its historical accuracy, but. Um, but yeah, those old, you know, those old 1960s, you know, hilarious to watch, you know, kung fu movies. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, the Boxer Rebellion has a very different um, sort of a demeanor in uh, in Chinese culture than we often look at it here in the West. Um, so you know, we're kind of the bad guys in that one. But yeah, there's some great movies out there if you don't mind those old. Uh, what, what do they call those? Like I just call them Shaw Brothers kung fu movies. You guys know what kind of movies? Yeah, I'm I know China. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was like, that Steve McQueen movie. Wasn't that filmed theoretically taking place around the Boxer Rebellion where he's on that ship? I'm uh, not familiar with what movie you're oh talking about. Oh, my God. I can't remember the name of that movie now. I'll, I'll look it up and uh, find out. But all right. What else? What's next? <laughs> I'll never make it through a full news section. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, we've got uh, Empress Miniatures. Uh, they've continued into their Vietnam Range expansion. So they've been doing a lot recently. I mean, they put SEAL teams in. They've put uh, a lot of uh, American and uh, Vietnamese infantry, civilians, all sorts. Uh, but what I really like is their latest edition, which is uh, elephants. Uh, so on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of the time they use elephants to move around heavy gear and equipment. And, uh, yeah, so they've added them to the range, and they've made some of their miniatures so that they can sit astride behind the, uh, the, the elephant's head around mm-hmm. the neck. So really nice as a just something a bit different because obviously a lot of people, a lot of ranges do similar models. So to have something that's a little different in your in the makeup of your force, something that can be an objective or something that you can play around with, was just not quite the same. Was a real nice change of pace. 
Uh, this, so it's, it's fair scale, so it's 28 mil. Okay, so Marty, we need a uh, 148.2. <laughs> I was going to say, I want to see an A1 Sky Raider versus an elephant. Oh, dear. Because <laughs> uh, if, if it's on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, it's never going to be in ground combat. You're only going to be doing airstrikes on it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mentioned B-52. Arc strike. Nope. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to leave some bad marks on that trail. A few. Uh, moving swiftly on from animal cruelty to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm putting my microphone on mute now, guys. Go ahead. Well played, well played. It's a dark place, Jim. You live in a dark place. <laughs> I, I feel like oh, my God, God beheadings and animal cruelty. Up. Where is Jim today? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. All right, go ahead, That's buddy. why we all get along so well. We're all dark. <laughs> We're all, we all love it, really. Uh, no, I'll tell you what, I think is, this is a preview for Jim's topic. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up is uh, Spectre Miniatures, actually. So bringing it right back up to modern. Uh, they've redone a lot of their resin. Their stock levels are returning. And uh, now you can pick up some of their HMV stuff. Um, HMV, what does HMV actually stand for? HMV? You're Come the news team. guy, I guess. What? Oh, no. I, I, you know, I've got a picture of it here in front of me because I've put all the links in, so I know exactly what I'm talking about. But this is an American vehicle. And, uh, talking about a Hummer? My vehicle there was you a go. Yeah, a Hummer. Yeah. All right. But we HMMWVs. But what does HMMWV stand for? HMMWV. Heavy military. High purpose. Oh, yeah. High mobility military wheeled vehicle. Yes. Wow. That's what yeah. it means. So that's why everybody calls it the Hummer after yes. and the fact that it's, it's, it's just easier. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so the, the guys have. And we also uh, like to say Hummer. Range, and you also like that as well. <laughs> uh, in addition to that, they've uh, redone a lot of their weapons. So now you can get some of your technicals fitted out with miniguns uh, and other options twin MMGs, uh, M2s. Uh, Grenade launchers, all sorts. They've got a real nice mix of them running now. And then when it comes to the other side of the fence, they've got some uh, tripod-mounted toes just sat in the back of a technical, which I absolutely love. The M40, uh, good luck being the guy that fires that in the back of there. Uh, and a BMP1 turret on the back of a technical. Jim, they've definitely upped their game. I think we need to revisit our uh, <laughs> space game system with a BMP-1 turret on the back of the technical. I could do with a 76mm automatic cannon on the back, or a semi-automatic I mean, cannon. Having the shopping trolley that we used that time... Uh, was... <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I think a BMP-1 turret, that's, that's a good, like, one and a half, two tons, man. That's that's a pretty heavy piece of gear. How the hell do they traverse, I wonder? Well, they mounted it on the back. On the back of a, uh, a big truck, not like a pickup truck, but like right. a garbage truck that doesn't have the garbage canister no. on the back of it. No, it's a pickup truck. So is it just like pointing they out the back, the almost like N4T truck. style? Like the old oh, my God, I'm truck. looking at it. It's been raised up on a frame, it, so it's just higher than the, the roof chassis of the cabin, and the gun is over the front of the vehicle. How does it traverse? It's like a cobbled together frame. <laughs> it must not traverse. It must be a fixed mount. Please tell me it's well, a fixed mount. 
<laughs> I I, yeah, it doesn't it, move. Like, it's, it's, it's not rotating. Right? <laughs> they just aim the truck. All right, so they made a little baby tank destroyer out of it. All right. It, that would, you know what? We all laugh, but that would be if they if it's a full BMP one turret. It's got the AT three Sanger missile on top of the gun. Um, that makes it a dangerous vehicle. It, Don't believe it me. For the crew or the, for the people who've been shot at. Well, both. <laughs> um, if you don't believe the AT3 is, is uh, the AT3 Sager is dangerous, uh, talk to the Israeli tank force. To this day, they still call Monday, October eighth, nineteen seventy-three, Black Monday. But anyway, it doesn't matter because they don't have the AT3 Sager on there. But if it's a BMP turret, it should have a uh, an AT3 on there. I think this thing needs wheelie bars when it fires. Put it that way. <laughs> right. So propelled artillery has like that spade that comes out the back and. Right. They, they 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 should have uh, they should have made that with the back suspension blown out and the bed right right on the wheel. <laughs> uh, the third area that they've sort of restarts on is their drones, which are obviously really nice. Uh, you got the Puma UAV. There's a couple of these sort of the tier one sort of drone operator with a small, um, you know, a basic drone system, a four prop. Uh, then you've got an insurgent as a drone operator with a laptop open and a small drone with him. And you've got the Mars robot as well, which, again, makes some real nice options for your scenarios and how you want to play the game. So it's good to see that they're you know, managing to restock and, and bring themselves back in uh, from the cold of COVID. Nice. All right. Um, and the final one yes. for the news is, uh, well, as you know, Bill, uh, yeah. I believe you and Marty know quite a bit about the Savage Frontier Kickstarter. Would you like me to take this one, Gaz? I think think I'll segue you into that. All right. So, uh, as you know, last uh, week we did an interview on Monday night with uh, Tim and Glenn from Footsore Miniatures North America to talk about the Kickstarter for Savage Frontier. This is the uh, winter – I'm going to put it out as the winter campaign for the French and Indian War – uh, these are a lot of miniatures that are in winter clothing garb. And uh, the Kickstarter kicked off on Friday. And they are now currently, I just checked the number, as of the time of this recording, $29,348. Uh, their initial goal was 7000 oh. so they have killed it. So, um, and their, their, the last stretch goal I saw was the, book. the hardcover book book at 30 grand so we're close we're so close so uh i've definitely backed it um and i know marty did and that you know so guys if you're looking for a little bit of you know a different uh era of um conflict definitely check it out it looks really good all right gaz you survived another news congratulations thank you very much you're welcome (laughs) do i need to get you an outro so now we need help. Yeah. No. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. So we're going to jump over to Jim because I know Jim's going to have to kick off because he's got a, a game to get ready for. So, Jim, do you want to bring us into your topic, sir? That's all for the news. Until next time, guys. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Hey, this is recording. We can flip that clip right out of here. Uh, Uh, There you go. As long as you get that long, satisfied groan from Ed Gaz in there as well. Um, All right, so my topic, I'll go through it quick um, because I used up enough time. Uh, I was just going to ask about collateral damage in in war games. 
Did you guys do it? Use it? Like it? Love it? Hate it? Don't pay attention to it. Um, I bring it up because um, collateral damage was a big factor in this week's brigade level, uh, Marine Corps versus um, Iraqi Army game mm-hmm. at, uh, at El Jabra Airfield. And the Marines kind of lost that game. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen that video yet, yes. Even in a risk in these war games, the Marine Corps does lose once in a while. What? Um, yeah, it's, it's possible. Uh, we lost most <sighs> Ironically, I lost because I was afraid to do too much collateral damage, mm-hmm. I think. I think I, I kind of screwed it up. Um, there's a rule in that game, uh, TCME, Tactical Combat Middle East by Toshesh Miniatures, where if you drop too much of your M777s or your 120s or your 4.2s, uh, your mortars, into certain hexes that have like built-up areas. In this case, we had um, actual city hexes, and we even had some oil fields. Um, or oil refinery hexes, I should say. Um, and the Iraqis had their their own Soviet-made and Chinese knockoff 120-millimeter mortars kind of hidden in there. And uh, I didn't want to call in airstrikes or artillery barrages on them because in that game, the total number of points that your artillery attack does, divide that number in half and award that many points to the Iraqis as victory victory points. Um, this limits the uh, coalition player from doing too much collateral damage as they invade Kuwait. We're supposed to be liberating the place, not, you know, turning it into a parking lot. Sure. Um, now, because of that, sure enough, these 120 started dropping, you know, HE frag on my uh, American, on my Marine platoons. I lost a couple of amp tracks, uh, and I even lost some American, some Marine uh, infantry platoons. So I took way too many casualties and wound up losing the game. Going back and kind of redoing the math, I'm not going to replay the game because the game took 12 hours, but uh, kind of like replaying it in my head and looking at the math, if I had just gone in there and said, the hell with it, I'm just going to eat the points on collateral damage and just paste all those fools um, right off the bat, that not only in history, but also in the game, the game actually did a really good job at, at, at you know uh, recreating the historical conditions. Um, the only thing the Marines were really afraid of that day was Iraqi artillery. Um, their tanks were a joke, and their infantry were literally giving up as fast as they could run towards us with their hands raised. Um, Iraqi artillery, however, was a huge threat. And the only Marine casualties they took physically, I mean historically on the day, were from were from Iraqi artillery. And it was the only thing they were really worried about. Sure enough, it was the only thing that did any damage to me in this in this uh, brigade-level game. So should I have just gone in there and said, the hell with the uh, the the, the, the um, the collateral damage points and just taking out these mortars and howitzers right off the bat. I mean, I eventually took them out, but not before they did way too much damage um, to my force. Hmm. And so, uh, why are you it, going against the Marine doctrine? Why am I going against Marine doctrine? I don't know. That's my it's point. Going maybe, I did, level everything, right? maybe, I, maybe I did go against Marine doctrine. <laughs> also, number one Marine doctrine is follow fucking orders. And if you're not supposed to drop howitzer shells into Kuwaiti oil refineries, Number one on your list of things not to do is to drop mortar shells into, you know, Kuwaiti oil refineries. Yeah. Um, I'm just however, not going in and leveling everything. No, that's not Marine Corps doctrine at all. In fact, <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, in this case, it probably should have been. Um, in fact, historically, yeah. well, I actually think you know, I actually think you're kind of right because, they, you know, I built the forces exactly as they're as they were on the day. I ran the actual game exactly as 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 the battle unfolded on the day, and I took like twenty times as many casualties. So, I mean, to your point, 
uh, Chris, I think maybe I, I actually should have what, what I should have done. And that's kind of the point of the topic is when is collateral damage a factor, especially in modern games, when everyone's got a TV camera? When is collateral damage not a thing? Do you guys deal with it? Do you guys leave it alone? Is it a is it, is it a uh, you know something you have to look out for in your in your in your modern war games? Well, that's a good topic. Um, honestly, the only time I've ever thought about it is if it was built into the rule set. You know, other than that, well, so the rule set being the, uh, the yeah, it is built into the rule set here. Yeah. So I mean, in, in TC, I mean, but, yeah. But then again, usually, usually it's kind of a scenario rule thing, not like the, the core rule set of a game. Yeah. And then again, it's when it comes down to it, um, the few games I've played where it's built into the rule set or the scenario is, unless it's a automatic loss for my side, I have to weigh: do I take the hit for points? You know, if if I want to really eliminate a target that's really becoming an issue and harassing my forces and eating away. Do I take out that grid or hex or whatever the case is and eat the points? Because in the long run, it'll save me a bigger loss. So, I think that was kind of the case in my game today. After the game, I kind of went back. I counted up where all the Iraqi artillery was. I, I kind of reverse calculated how much artillery it would have taken to, to eliminate all that. Mm-hmm. And divide the number by two, basically applied those rules, you know, take the total number of damage divided by two as victory points. And yeah, I'm pretty sure I would have won. I think uh, most games, when you start, you've already sort of determined your ROE because you kind of engage, don't you? Be it whoever gets first turn. Um, So I think with a lot of the modern games, especially Skirmish, there's a lot of space to use battle damage assessment, collateral damage assessment, and, and, add those house rules to those games to make it more interesting. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. It adds that extra and a lot dynamic. Of times I, yeah, I think a lot of times people or designers will add it, either designers of the game system or designers of the scenario will add it in there specifically, never mind historical or if you're trying to make some kind of bullshit, you know, political or cultural statement. But on top of all that, just to keep it on the gaming table, to give the weaker side a chance. I mean, the insurgents are always the weaker side. They don't have Abrams and Apaches and, you know, satellite-driven, you know, drones dropping Hellfire missiles on their heads. Um, so how do you give them a chance? Well, if the stronger side actually uses all this firepower and uses it too liberally, um, the uh, the insurgent player might squeak out a win. Because one Hellfire missile into a school or a hospital or, God, you know, God forbid, something else, an orphanage or something, you know, that's going to be all over all the networks. And that captain or colonel or major is you know going to be working for dairy queen by the end of the quarter you know because he's his military career is pretty much over mm-hmm. that's a defeat um and I, I don't know if you know other people in the community or even other members of the team ever you know looked into that uh angle of especially modern i mean in the in the, in the napoleonic era did they really care about collateral damage um you know first of all they always fought out in an open field and number two their weapons didn't really do that much collateral damage uh, you know, they just burned down half of Russia, burned down Moscow. They don't care, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in the modern era, you can't really get away with that. Right. You don't right. Any question. So the, think it, uh, one of the things with that, though, is, you know, you've got the protected fire list or uh, protected target list, whatever it is. And, you know, a captain can't call in artillery on, some, on something like a school or a hospital 
I mean, that has to go well above his pay grade to be able to do that. So you would just have that built into your list as well, or uh, yeah. built into your rule set as well. You, you know, you can call an auditorium wherever you want, except not here. Or if you do, yeah, you, you have to touch it twice as much, you know, something. Right. More action points or something. Just because that does have to, or it takes twice the time to be able to fire on it because you have to get approval and you have to show that we're you taking You got to get approval from echelons above reality. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got you. He doesn't go to, you know, battalion or brigade. He's got to go all the way up to division or God knows where. Yeah. Right. And you have to be taking fire from that. You can't just level it because it is cool. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, it's food for thought, that's for sure. That's for sure. I think it's easier to manage in a campaign system where you can have a PR element that affects your ability to reinforce or uh, get supply. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's, it, more di- it's more difficult in a straight-up just one one game yeah or you supplied the enemy a lot by doing something like that yeah i mean that's again like you say that's pushing fighters across you know yeah uh making blood debts against families because you killed their brother and therefore they're yeah. now joined the opposition forces which we we know about which is why tax are often changed to hearts and minds after doing initial engagements yeah yeah i mean yeah, uh, a good game that kind of played into what happens with collateral damage or, you know, was the, the, uh, transit game, you know, when you had the guys, when you did your roles to see if they were neutral or if they went to the good guys or the bad guys, depending on combat, you know, in the streets and things like that. So, you know, that was a secondary, um, too many explosions. Some yeah. of the new technical for gas, hopefully without a BMP turn on the back. <laughs> So with speaking of which guys out there and I'm talking to our audience, our crew, our players, um, if you want to see the return transit game, um, shout out to us, put it in the comments, let us know. Um, I would be interested to see a transit return game, um, you know, based upon how we ended up the uh, tabletop game. So, um, yeah, let's see where that goes. All right, Jim, thank you very much for that. Uh, I don't know if you need to kick off, sir. Um, not literally, but you know what I mean. Um, so we're going to move over to Marty because that's an interesting topic. Yeah, so, uh, you know, as, as uh, folks uh, that are familiar with the show know, uh, you know, I'm kind of a rookie. I've really been, you know, tabletop gaming for a couple of years now. Uh so I'm not, uh, uh, you know, a super expert on things. And I was thinking about it uh, this past week, and I'm like, you know, now that the, the pandemic has a light at the end of the tunnel, hopefully, mm-hmm. we can start to get back to gaming. Right. And when we get back to gaming, how do we bring new people into into tabletop gaming? You know, how do... How do you how do you introduce this to your friends that you know this is not something that they've done before? Make it a good experience, make it something that they might enjoy. So you can bring someone else in, and you've got someone to actually play your games with. You know, haven't played forty k. Uh, do you know why I say that? Because when you play forty k, yeah. you see how how not fun it is. Then you want to play something else. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, about that. <laughs> 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 Wait, you should, since we can't go to the restaurant, we still can get out. Let's go over here and play this game. Right. I mean, really, it comes down to is you have to find a game that's um, quick and easy to play. Honestly, it comes down to what are your barriers to entry? Finding a game right. that's quick, it's easy to play, it's easy to understand, you know, um, and it has to have a visual aspect to it. 99% of people yeah. who play it, uh, play a, vi- you know, outside of your classic war gamers who like their hex encounter games, the ones that want to play miniature based games want a visual aspect to it. They want to see armies on the table, whether it's, you know, Napoleonics and all the bright colors of all the armies, or if it's, you know, World War II and you have tanks and infantry and whatever going across a battlefield. Uh, there's got to be a visual aspect to it. So uh, I, w- I would wholeheartedly agree uh, with that. I'm very much the rule of cool. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not necessarily picking my army because I think that that's the power list that's going to win the game. Uh, I like the dudes that I like. Right. <laughs> so, like, I, I like these uniforms. I like their gear. You know, uh, these are the ones I want to, they may not be the best list to play, but, you know, they're the ones that I think are cool and uh, I want to, paint up and you know have as part of my army yeah one of the other things that i was thinking about that uh you know uh maybe a factor here so uh you know we don't want the real crunchy game to start off with you know uh you know as you said something that's uh uh more simple that's easy to get into but i think that uh like the new person for their first game Mm -hmm. that they are going to purchase you want to have uh not only all set. of the, the simple rule sets and the stuff that we've yeah. talked about, but yes, you need a good starter set that two people can play right out of the box. Yep. I mean, you might still have to paint some stuff up, but it's not terrain intensive necessarily. Yeah. Um, it's got uh, two opposing forces, or at least two opposing forces, so that way you can take your little box crap over to your buddy's house, set it up on the kitchen table, and go play a game. Mm-hmm. So to to make that easier, um, the starter set should be very basic painted because yep, pre painted. Yep, they're not going to want to buy all the paints and everything if they're not going to enjoy the game. True. Yeah, 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 that that could certainly be a factor, you know. And like, uh, so I got the you know, what would I get there? Uh, Delta One Zero by Bonds of Games. I got that for Christmas, mm-hmm. and that that is a game I think meets the mail for that. I mean, literally, it's got two six man squads in it. You know, it's got the the Russians and uh, UK, and the only terrain that you actually need to start playing the game is six little connexes, and they provide those uh, as cardboard cutouts that you put together. So you can put those together. You know, cut them out, glue or tape them together throw them on the table and you can play the first five training missions in their book. I mean, the figures aren't painted to Chris's point. Uh, but, uh, for me, obviously that's not a barrier to entry. I like painting my little dudes and I've got enough to do it. Uh, but you could certainly run them, you know, and get a can of red spray paint, make all the, the commies red, get a can of blue or green spray paint, make all the UK guys that color and go run your dudes. Right. It's kind of old news, but uh, 
a set that really did a great job with what everyone's talking about was the old open fire um, starter set from Battlefront for Flames of War. Mm-hmm. Uh, the miniatures themselves weren't terribly well manufactured, but the idea was there. Um, Battlefront has since really upped the game. This is like, and this is like five, six years ago. Um, but yeah, the, the open fire box set came with uh, uh, an American. I think you could also do it as British if you wanted to, but basically an Allied force and a German force. They put the right tanks in the starter set. It wasn't King Tigers and goddamn Mouses and all this other <laughs> stuff that you know never saw the light of day. It was uh, the British. I mean, sorry, the Allied force came with Shermans, not Fireflies, not Easy Eights, not you know just basic M4A2 crap boxes. You know the, the actual you know. The old school, you know, Sherman, the vanilla Sherman. Yeah. And the Germans came with Stugs. <laughs> the majority, like, yeah. Yeah, like the actual armor that most German units actually have. Technically, they're not even tanks. So the old STG3Gs um, with the long 48s. Um, they weren't pre-painted, but I think the Allies came in green plastic. The Germans came in gray plastic. I might be wrong about that. So they were kind of pre-painted, or they were at least pre-colored. And uh, the terrain that go. came... Yeah, the, 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 the terrain in the box was like, uh, like uh, Marty was saying, don't have it be terrain intensive. I mean, it was super cheap, but it was just to get you started. And it was like a little plastic uh, or a little a cardboard, you know, bush that you would put down on the table and say, okay, that's trees. Here's a building. Here's a road. You know, and you could have like a tiny little, you know, two by two, you know, 15 millimeter game real fast. Um yeah, that's what got you into it. And it was like, you know, both sides could play, both players could play with the purchase of this one box. And then if you liked it, okay, now you get into it. And now you actually start buying. Right. You start building lists, buying those armies, selective, you know, you, you know, purchasing things off of websites, priming, painting, building, Suddenly pointing some up. paints, yeah. Yeah, before you know it, boom, yeah. you are a normie no more. You, you are a freak <laughs> like the rest of us. Right. Congratulations. Yeah, I think the third version of that. And that's, that's kind of my goal. What was that, Marty? I was going to say that, and that, and that's the goal is uh, you know uh, can be able to convert uh, some folks that you know hadn't uh, considered it or seriously thought about playing it because either they have no idea whatsoever what this is, uh, or uh, they've seen like uh, like footage from uh, from a show. You know, so you know they they see the table at Salute and they're like, I could never do that. Well, you don't have to do that. You know, day one. You know, mm-hmm. don't, don't, do, don't do that. You don't, you don't need, you know, this giant, beautiful table. It's awesome to have, but if we want to play the game, what do, you know, let's pare it down to the, the core stuff that you really need to play the game. And if you enjoy it, get into it as much as you want. And Just as you were you saying, hit the, hit, hit the Beach was another good one. Uh, so Hit the Beach is their current version of that from the guys of Battlefront uh, for Flames of War. Um, essentially, you get 50 points of the two forces, which is about half of what a, say, a tournament or event game would be, which is 100 points. So it gives you a nice core to then add to. Uh, I'm looking at the box set, for example, now you get five plastic Shermans that are 75 mil, three plastic Shermans that are 76 mil, uh, parachute rifle platoon, uh, we get a Panzer Grenadier HQ, a couple of Panzer Grenadier platoons, three Panzer fours, so that's your opposition armor, uh, a couple of plastic 7.5 anti-tank guns with crews, 
Um, you get the A5 size rule book, uh, a quick start guide, a nice little uh, plastic V1 flying bomb terrain piece to put as an objective. You get dice, you get the unit cards. You know, it's, it's, it's a real good step-off point, and that's the type of thing we're looking at. And the thing I like most about it is if you go and look at their site for this, they show you how to build each one. They show you the layout of the sprues and what every piece of it is. And they even have links to assembly guides with step-by-step -step information for every vehicle and for the infantry and everything. So you, as, a, as a bite the cherry for the first time, it's probably one of my favorite setups to just pick up a box set, two-player start, go to the website and see everything that you need to do to even put it together. Oh yeah, very nice. That sounds, uh, you know, like a perfect uh, place for uh, someone that's brand new to the hobby to, uh, you know, uh, enter enter into the realm, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think it, it costs about I don't know. I think you can get it as low as sort of forty pounds, so what about forty five, fifty bucks, and you've got a two player game that you just put out on a table. You you know, you can put some. Put some terrain to it, or whatever you want. Pencils for barricades. You know, you can you can just put something together, but it's it's all there for you, pretty much um, ready to go with a lot of explanation to help you get that first few pieces together as well. But yeah, nice, modest, common unit types. Mm. You know, yep. the, the, the kind of stuff that was actually there in most, except for the V one. But that's just like like you were saying, terrain or terrain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, no crazy, you know, uh, king tigers, no tigers, no panthers, no big cats at all. You have workhorses, you know, the Stug 3 in the first kit and the kit you're talking about sounds like you've got some Mark 4s. Those are probably yeah. Gs or Hs, you know, nice late war stuff, Band of Brothers scrap that everybody's seen, you know. Just whatever you do, don't start them on Risk or Axis and Allies because those aren't war games. <laughs> and that's the end of the shortest rant in history. Those are not war games. They're fun games, but they're, just not, they're just not war games. Risk is not a war game. Come on, man. Okay, I'm done. So one of the other things that I, uh, I like, um, it's, not my, you know, it's not true modern war, is uh, Dust, where... They have their grid, and there's not there's no measuring, you know that that keeps it fast, um, and that's good. Another good way to introduce people. Yeah, yeah, nice simple mechanic there. Yep, I too, I too enjoy it very much. It, it's a, it's a good entry game. I mean, you the models come assembled. Uh, it's an easy system to learn. Um, it is challenging though, so it's not like oh you know. Um, so, you know, there's a, a lot of good stuff to it and, you know, uh, it's sort of historical and, you know, weird world war two, but it is what it is. Um, you know, speaking of that, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to no, that. go ahead. Um, I know we said we, I like hex encounter games for, uh, for openers. Uh -huh. Um, that's only because a risk gem plays, you know, big crunchy hex encounter games. There are nice, simple, open, you know, get normies to play Hex Encounter games out there, and you can buy them in Target, and we're talking about the, the Memoir 44 series. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Has anyone ever yes. tried one of those? Very, I've never played very it. Very good call. Um, I was, well, I, I used to kind of, I, first of all, I walked by it in Target, and I was uh -huh. like, well, 
come on. This is a risk in the gym you're talking. If you can buy it in Target, it's not a war game. It's not, uh, come on, bullshit. You know. But someone back when we used to have a gaming club, somebody actually had it, and I was really impressed. It is a, it is a starting game. It is a, you know, convert a normie to a war gamer kind of thing. It's not, you know, Panzer Leader. But, um, yeah, it's it's light. It's fast. It's easy. The manufacturing in the hexes. Uh-huh. Are uh, to the point where you can put a board down and then you get like these modular, like cardboard or like MDF, or I don't know what they're printed on. Uh, it's like a really, really thick cardstock, pretty sturdy. And it's not like the old Panzerblitz punch, punch sheets where the, the tank is sometimes like half off the counter because, you know, printing technology in 1971 wasn't all that. It's really good. It's like, I don't know if they used to have some kind of laser cutter or something on it, but you can actually put the counter, uh, the, the new terrain on your board to change the board. You're not playing on the same board every time. Sure. And all the hexes line up perfectly. Um, it, was, it was actually pretty good. Valor and Victory. You want to convert a normie? That game costs exactly $0.00. and zero cents. It is free. You go to Board Game Geek, you download it, you print some stuff out, you're ready to go. There you you go. play a whole army within an afternoon. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. Yeah. So uh, keeping are... it cheap, I would say Battle Space with Plastic Green Soldiers. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. $9 yeah. for a PDF and... rule set. You can go to any shop and buy buckets. Drugstore drug Army. Drugstore Army. Yep. That's, uh, what would that be you, like? Good uh, God, 74 millimeters? You can get it from the dollar store. Yeah. yeah. And you can, you can Toy Story the crap out of that thing. It's <laughs> in early to tabletop gaming. There you go. There you go. Real quick, you said Drugstore Army. So it's right next to the ibuprofen? There you go. To yeah. enact the great and historical epic battles between the uh, green and tan empires of old. <laughs> Indeed. Outstanding. All right, Gaz. You're up. Hello. <laughs> Transporting so, um, your miniatures. Do you prefer yeah. sponge-filled carry cases or magnetized? Yeah, it's, it's something that's sort of been doing the rounds in a few of the forums I'm on because there's been a lot of tutorials recently on you know buying plastic boxes that you'll get from the DIY stores, the mm-hmm. clear plastic, dropping in a metal plate uh, just to convert it so that you have something to carry your miniatures in that's um, keeping them secure and looking after them. Um, and it's you know for most that's actually a cheaper option as well because uh-huh. the, the metal and the plastic tub will come to less money than a a sort of a miniature carry case with foam. Yeah. The likes Most of definitely. anybody, GW, Battle Foam, anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so my thought is, which is better and is the sort of certain parameters that you need to sort of cover? So I have a mixture. I have a, I have a magnetized carry case because the miniatures in that one are rank and file mm-hmm. and they're a mix of plastic lower body, metal upper body. So they're, they're, they're rife to headbutt the floor on a regular basis, <laughs> which is really good. And um, even picking them up because you've got the weight at the top. If they, I've got to be careful from a magnetized perspective, yeah. but I've magnetized the, the movement trays as well um, to allow me to pick up the movement tray rather than pull the models. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps protect the paint very well. Uh, at the same time, I have foam carry cases, but for example, I've just been looking at doing some cavalry models and they have lances. So a lance is always going to be a danger area when it comes to a carry case, be it sticking in the foam and the model moving underneath it to the point it breaks or just getting it in and out and catching it. 
So for them, yes, magnetized is a bit better, but the rest of the army is not that type of model. So it's trying to find what's best overall, do you guys think? A sponge fill carry case or a magnetized carry system? Well, uh, personally, it depends. Um, If I'm going to be doing some extensive traveling, like from here over to the UK, it's going to go in foam. Um, If I'm just traveling to my local convention, I'll put them in uh, magnetized cases. So it it depends on the the, the mode of travel and how far I'm going. Um, Because I have both. Um, You know, we backed a Kickstarter years ago called A-Case, which was like a nylon bag that had metal trays in it that you can magnetize. Um, So we use that. And then, you know, we have foam cases as well that, you know, we'll put stuff in to travel, like when we went to uh, Ireland uh, or, you know, over to the U.K., so to... um, to like salute or something. So it depends. It really just comes down to what you're doing, you know, how far you got to go. Is that because of weight or because you think it's safer in a foam carry case? It's safer in a foam carry case. If you're putting it on an airplane, you know, if you're checking the luggage, um, you know, cause I use a hard case. I don't use a soft bag. So I have my foam in a hard case. Um, so I can okay. check it. You know, but it's going to protect it more from being jostled and stuff if it's protected in foam versus magnetized. And, you know, it gets tossed about, you know, the magnets, while strong, are not that strong. And you have a greater risk of stuff uh, breaking loose and tossing around. Yeah. I think the other thing that goes along with it is, you know, you have foam cases. You always have more minis than... um foam then foam yep so you know hey today we're playing like a better term dust so you can use the same case for multiple games multiple sets of minis okay yeah because yeah, i saw we, now well yeah. and yeah one of one of the things that uh that that i've found is having uh having a mix between the two seems to work because like i have most of my 28 mil stuff goes into uh, uh, foam trays, but uh, the larger vehicles and whatnot that I've got don't fit into those well. Mm-hmm. And to get the foam cases that they would fit in, one is expensive and two just takes up a ton of space. So those seem to work out better magnetized and uh, uh, in a box, you know, so kind of a, kind of a mixture there for, for me uh, thus far. So do you think that's because the cases aren't stackable in comparison to the sort of the plastic trays you'll get at the DRA, sort of a home base or a... For, uh, for the foam trays? Or yeah. What do you mean, well, so, um, so are you saying that the, the carry cases that you've got that are foam are not stackable, as in they don't link to be able to stack easily? Well, no, they they'll they'll stack easily, but like you know, if I've got you know, so I've got all my little twenty-eight millimeter trays. So those are like I don't know, an inch and a half tall with little slots in them, and those stack really nice. And I can get the larger uh, foam, but I end up having to get like four or five inch thick foam to put my uh, some of my tall vehicles in, and that right. just takes up so much so much space because there's so much space in between the different uh uh spaces in in there to put each vehicle that it it just doesn't seem very efficient as well as 
you know, those pieces of foam start to get pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. So it, it's easier for me to get uh, like one of the taller plastic storage boxes uh, at Walmart, put a metal sheet on the, the bottom that cost me a dollar and just magnetize them and have them stuck in there. And it's a more efficient use of, of space. Yeah, yeah. So you can really cram them in there, get them almost touching or touching, you know, and just right. just run it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and generally speaking, I don't have the same. I don't. I don't have nearly as many vehicles as I have miniatures. You know, yeah. the the little individual soldier dudes. So you know, I don't need you know cases and cases of these. I need a box or two. Yeah. Okay. The, the other thing with that is, you know, if, if you had some, some game where you had, like, smaller tanks and you had 50 of them, it'd be, it would be different. You know, you'd have something to where you could just have a lot of them in there. Um, but when, like you said, when you've got the miniatures, uh, the little dudes, you know, you have a lot of the little dudes and then you have one of this type of vehicle and then another type of that vehicle and, and they're not, like, common they're not uh you know they're not easily duplicated i guess for the lack of a better term um they, they, it's not like they fit into anything easily okay it, yeah because a lot of times the foam cutouts uh in the trays unless you're buying a custom tray uh you know don't don't fit your vehicle real well that's why i'm saying it's not a an efficient use of, of space, oftentimes. Oh, okay. That's why I like that. That's why I like having you know, because like if I'm using a foam tray, you know, because I've got the smaller ones uh, that fit in a, a nylon bag I've got. You know, I could fit probably six of my vehicles in there, but if right. I'm putting it in a box in the same size, I can fit eight or ten. Hey, I think you uh, found the the best word to describe it efficiency the foam trays for little dudes very efficient very quick but there's nothing easy and fast about foam when it comes to different sized vehicles yeah i mean you can get custom trays you know for specific stuff for games but yeah i mean are you paying for it yeah a lot of us don't really want to i mean we already are pushing the envelope of our marital capital uh, getting the <laughs> and uh you know spending a lot of money for custom foam trays just doesn't seem to be like the best place to put that money yeah we yeah, gotta I mean, probably get a laser cutter uh, and make our own yeah. we don't need to custom <laughs> anymore because most companies do the uh the plug foam trays which is what i get so it's almost as cheap as the right. normal cutout stuff but it's not been custom made to fit your model you just pluck the squares out where you need them Right, right. Yeah, I, I have some of those as well. That's uh, that's what I initially put my vehicles in. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you still have the wastage, yeah, of space. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. I think it's I think it's just a matter of application. Yeah. Uh, as well as Bill brought up uh, uh, some good points about you know if you're traveling and you need to you know make sure that your stuff is safe and safe and secure. Uh, yeah, you definitely want to find some way of protecting your your stuff. Yeah. All right, good topic. Nice chat there. Um, so I'm going to quickly uh, talk 
one other item, um, but I'm going to change up what I put on the running order, surprise, um, to talk about a couple things. Uh, for First of all, Sit Rup Podcast has been given its marching orders. Yes, we have. Yeah. So the end of April, uh, local to us here in the Chicagoland area, is um, Little Wars. So they're going to have their convention, uh, their show. Uh, it's going to be much smaller than it usually is. Um, but as a test run for the set rep field team, we're going to hit that convention Friday afternoon and all day Saturday. It starts Thursday night and goes through Sunday, but uh, the meat of it is usually Friday afternoon night into Saturday. So we'll be there during that time broadcasting live from the show. So, so just, uh, just for clarification for, uh, you know, folks that are uh, listening to this, uh, Little Wars is the name of a local gaming convention here in the Chicagoland area yeah. that is uh, put on by the Historical Mentor Gaming Society Midwest chapter. It is not affiliated with Little Wars TV. Correct. Good. Good call, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Just I, I didn't want people thinking that it was a Little Wars TV event. Right. Yeah. Not that that would be bad. It just isn't. <laughs> yep. No. Um, no. Yeah, so we'll be there broadcasting. Um, we're working. I'm working out where we should have booth space right on the floor. Um, so we'll be highly visible. Uh, we'll do interviews and reviews from our booth, and then we'll have some uh, mobile camera work as well. Um, so that is very exciting news. Um, so keep a uh, lookout for updates as we get them. Uh, another important news salute uh, of this year is being moved to November. Um, so it looks like as of right now, they're planning on having salute. Um, for you guys who are not familiar, salute salute is probably the biggest miniature based convention show in the UK. Um, it's usually held in the spring in April. And it's a one-day show. It's, it blows my mind every time I have been there uh, they, that it only covers jam it one all in. day. Yep. So, you know, they set up on Friday. They they uh, get ready. Saturday, the show starts at what, Gaz? Eight, nine o'clock in the morning? Um, uh, yeah, I think the – so the, the stall's set up. They're in for about half eight, nine. The doors open normally at ten. Yeah. And then it's done by five. Not only is it one day, it's a short day. It's like 10 to four or 10 to five. And then yeah. you have to be out by what? Seven, eight o'clock that night. So you yeah, have to tear it's, down. It's a reasonable. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, show a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, we've been there. Gaz has been there as a uh, game designer producer. Um, obviously I've been there as media several times covering it. And uh, it just blows my mind how much they crunch into less than a 24 hour period. Um, so, uh, it's, it's an amazing show. If you guys have never been to it, if you're in the UK or Europe and you want to go, definitely it's worthwhile. Uh, if you're in the U S and we're traveling and all that's good to go, I highly recommend it. It's a great show. It is all about miniature war gaming. It really, it's, it's not like Gen Con, which it's every game under the sun. Uh, it is the, uh, UK's dedication to miniature war gaming and they have all kinds of gaming. Um, so you'll see all kinds of historical, you'll see sci-fi fantasy, 
you know, whatever genre that's out there, you will see it. It's really, to me, what it reminds me of is a big shopping day. It's like where all the manufacturers from the UK and and near, you know, Europe, which will be interesting this year with Brexit, and we're not going to go there, but uh, how that'll affect the show. Um, You know, what kind of offerings there will be if that will affect it in any way, shape, or form. And, uh, you know, people go in there, they line up in this big queue, and then they go in there and they buy all their stuff, and, you know, they go home and play with their new toys. There's some demo games, there's some demo tables, but it's not like Adepticon, uh, which is a big, you know, gaming convention. This is more like come in, you shop, uh, you see a few demos of some new stuff, and then you go home. Um, so it's it's definitely, it's a great day, though. Um, I really enjoy it, and I highly recommend it for anybody who's really into their miniature wargaming. So that's yeah, the, I think you can walk around all the stalls in probably two to three hours yeah, if easily. you literally went to every stall. It's not it's not what you know. Some of the American cons and shows are absolutely massive. Um, so yeah, a couple of hours uh, will get you an easy walk around. You can sort of see what you want to see and then start buying what you want to buy if you haven't caved when you <laughs> saw the plastic or resin crack in front of you. Yeah, um, you normally find a couple of small company startups always seem to be there, which is great because uh-huh. you often find stuff that you don't know about at all and never would have if you hadn't gone to the show. Um, there's there's a lot of um, different, like you say, genres. It covers everything. Uh, there's almost no board games, if any. The only board games would be related to pre-existing uh, companies like Games Workshop, etc. Right. The the there is a painting competition there if painting's your thing um that's uh, often um has a lot of the best uk painters uh, and some of the guys from france come over for that one to to compete in that it is recognized i believe for the crystal brush in america each year so you do get some outstanding models mm-hmm. in the cabinets and yeah it's at uh, just as an idea of where it is it's at london excel yeah. So very easy to transition to and from, especially if you're already visiting London. Most definitely. Easy to get to. Uh, there's the DLR. Um, there is so many different way, easy ways to get there. You can actually fly into London City Airport if you really want to because it's literally right there. Um, so it's easy to get to. It's a, an amazing venue, uh, really nice. We, we thoroughly enjoy it. And I have to say the uh, – Meetups that we had after the show are the best. Um, you know, so uh, there was something, one, um, if you guys are aware, you know, I helped cover it for Beast of War. And um, one weekend of the show was Warren's stag party. And somehow we all were going to get on the uh, tube and go to Trafalgar Square and raid and capture the lions and climb on them. I was forbidden. Uh, Dawn prevented me from going. Uh, she was afraid I would do <laughs> no something really stupid in London, and that would be that. So, uh, but yeah, shocker. <laughs> but no, seriously, guys, it's a great show. Um, unfortunately, Adepticon has been canceled uh, for this year. Um, still, no word on Gen Con Origins. I think has been rescheduled as well um, cool. to the fall. Right. Yep. So, well, yeah, Origins. September? Yeah, Origins is it's kind of like Gen Con, but mini. It re- really, Origins started out is that's where a lot of people went to premiere their games 
before they uh, went out to the rest of the world. Uh, that's hence why it's called Origins. Um, it's where you went to show off your wares before release. And then Gen Con was the worldwide stage uh, to show your wares after Origins. Um, so I'm assuming right now, as of right now, Gen Con has not been moved or canceled. Uh, Origins has moved to the fall. Historicon, we have not heard yet. Um, so Little Wars for SitRup Podcast would be our runner-up. And then Historicon, uh, ideally, if we can work things out, I would like to see us there because that would be like our show, right? So uh, we'll have to see. Um, so, guys, we're going to close out the show with that. Um, I want to thank everybody. I want to thank our special guest, Jay, from Feral Games, for uh, his new Kickstarter starting on Tuesday, Ghost Ops uh, Second Strike. I got it right that time. And uh, to Jim... Marty, Chris, and especially Gaz, this is Bill for the Sit Rep Podcast, and we will see you later. You have been listening to the Sit Rep Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Make sure you like and subscribe to all of our channels on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Discord. Remember to join us every other weekend for a new episode of the podcast. And don't forget our other programming on Wednesdays and Sundays. Thanks for listening. 